Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 1 of A New Voice of Freedom, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is taken from a series of books written under the banner, In Defense of Christianity. Podcast 21 is entitled, Gifts of the Spirit. There is no deficit that God cannot make up, no sorrow that God cannot heal, no tears that God cannot dry. To those who are given more, more is expected. God's grace is a match for all mortal deficiencies. Remember the widow's might. In the eternities, our weaknesses here will be viewed as gifts given to us to make us stronger. Our strengths here will be viewed as gifts given to us to make others stronger. God employs the strong to help the weak, but he also often calls upon the weak and insignificant to bring about his marvelous purposes. The chief apostles were fishermen, not empire builders, yet they were put in charge of building the greatest empire of all, the kingdom of God on earth. History has shown that great men and women always rise in a crisis to help bring about God's purposes. With God, there are no surprises, no accidents, and no uncertainties. Christ could have been born in a palace to rich and powerful parents, yet he was born in a stable to a poor carpenter. The temporal often imitates the spiritual. Just as there is an ecology of nature, one species helping another in symbiotic symphony, so is there an ecology of gifts. God distributes his gifts evenly among his children throughout the entire earth so that all will have access to his power and blessings. Out of weakness comes strength, and the strong help the weak. Just as there is a balance of nature, there is a balance of gifts orchestrated by God before we were even sent to the earth. God is a creator who plans everything down to the tiniest detail. We see the analogy daily in nature. Is he going to give animals, insects, and plants the ability to survive and ignore man? We are children of God. We live for eternities as spirits with our Father in heaven. He gave us all gifts before we were sent to earth. By design, he determined exactly when and where he would send us to the earth. He knows our birth date and our death date and the environment we will be in. In Ecclesiastes 3 we read, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. He gave us all gifts to improve our environment. There is an ecology of man just as there is an ecology of nature. The only difference is that man has free will. The creatures of nature use their gifts like slaves for the good of the colony. Man may use his gifts for good or for evil. Man has a moral conscience, a divine nature, and an unlimited ability for good and evil. Insects follow their genetic code. 
Man, who has free will, follows his desires. Earth's creatures will always do what they are programmed to do. Man will go his own way. The disorder in the world is because man has free will. Without free will, earth would run like a machine, but experience would be meaningless. Through logic, we increase in knowledge, but only through experience do we increase in wisdom. All ills of the earth have remedy in close proximity. Poison ivy is often accompanied by the jewel flower, its healing herb. Like the troubled waters of the pool of Bethesda, God will direct us to the place of healing. But rather than an angel troubling the waters, perhaps it will be Christ himself who awaits to heal us. When Christ heals us, he makes us whole. He not only heals the infirmity, he restores the soul. The ways of the world always lead to captivity. The path of Christ always leads to freedom. Others carried the cripple to the waters of Bethesda. The cripple, once healed, had to take up his own bed and carry it. But his bed was only a burden when he had to lie in it. Following his miraculous healing, one can see him skipping down the cobblestones carrying his bed, praising God and rejoicing at his light burden. We were sent to earth to exercise our agency, to seek truth, to increase our intelligence, to seek law, and to become wiser so that we may become better. Cunning may lead to cleverness, which may camouflage itself as wisdom, but remember the source. Satan is cunning. God is wise. Experience that does not carry wisdom is wasted. Do not worry about IQ. We have an eternity to become smarter. Obey the laws of God, and the wisdom of God will follow. As the Lord revealed to the prophet Isaiah, line upon line, precept upon precept. The Lord added in language that we can all understand, here a little and there a little. To most of us, perhaps, it seems here a very little. But we must be patient. In the words of William James, let no youth have any anxiety about the upshot of his education, whatever the line of it may be. If he keep faithfully busy each hour of the working day, he may safely leave the result to itself. He can, with perfect certainty, count on waking up some fine morning to find himself one of the competent ones of his generation. Unless we are debilitated by infirmities of the flesh or of an abusive and deprived environment, we can all reason. We may not excel in science or math or any of the other gifts that have a price tag in this world, but we all have the capacity to think, to use induction and deduction, to draw inferences, to develop faith, and to seek truth. Like the widow's might, God holds us accountable only for the gifts we have. He judges us by the laws we live. He judges us by the desires of the heart, not the capacity of the mind. In the resurrection, there will be no infirmities. All the healings of Christ were to remind us of the resurrection. We get along in a complex world and maneuver through its intricate maze. We seem to absorb and comprehend our surroundings as if we were always familiar with them. Those who do not have the full capacity to reason because of earthly infirmities will fall under the grace of Christ. Those who do have the capability of reason, however, will be held accountable for their gifts. 
Christ said, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. When God says, Let us reason together, it is an acknowledgment that he has given us that ability, and that we should apply that ability to temporal and spiritual things. Light enters the eye, music and language the ear, wisdom the heart, mysteries the mind, and truth the spirit. We should ever keep all our senses open to that which is truth and light. We know by easy observation that the body experiences automatic movements coordinated between brain and body. Even in a coma, one may yawn and stretch and cough and grimace and struggle against any binding cords, even those that keep one alive. However, one of the greatest gifts of the creation is a mind that understands law, a tongue that speaks language, and a heart that is sensitive to truth. I referred to a quote by William James taken from his book, The Principles of Psychology. We need to consider the entire quote. The hell to be endured hereafter, of which theology tells, is no worse than the hell we make for ourselves in this world by habitually fashioning our characters in the wrong way. Could the young but realize how soon they will become mere walking bundles of habits, they would give more heed to their conduct while in the plastic state. We are spinning our fates, good or evil, and never to be undone. Every smallest stroke of virtue or of vice leaves its never so little scar. The drunken Rip Van Winkle in Jefferson's play excuses himself for every fresh dereliction by saying, I won't count this time. Well, he may not count it, and a kind of heaven may not count it, but it is being counted nonetheless. Down among his nerve cells, the fibers and molecules are counting it, registering and storing it up, to be used against him when the next temptation comes. Nothing we ever do is, in strict scientific literalness, wiped out. As we become permanent drunkards by so many separate drinks, so we become saints in the moral and authorities and experts in the practical and scientific spheres by so many separate acts and hours of work. Let no youth have any anxiety about the upshot of his education, whatever the line of it may be. If he keeps faithfully busy each hour of the working day, he may safely leave the final result to itself. He can, with perfect certainty, count on waking up some fine morning to find himself one of the competent ones of his generation in whatever pursuit he may have singled out. Sometimes we tend to measure things by worldly standards, using a large scale. We ignore the small tremors and note only the earthquakes that shake cities. Often, however, it is the little things that matter. The tiny eruptions of everyday friction go unnoticed, yet it is the small and insignificant things that most shape our character and determine our destiny. I am reminded of the words of James in the Bible. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. It is a strange paradox. 
just as rough stones of a riverbed grow smooth by constant friction, our characters are shaped by the daily frictions of our lives. If we lash out in anger and rebellion at every correction, we will learn nothing. All learning begins with humility. Those who do not govern their temper in petty things are sometimes governed by their temper in an unforeseen crisis where they lash out, causing irreparable harm. I think that is what Professor James meant when he said, Could the young but realize how soon they will become mere walking bundles of habits, they would give more heed to their conduct in the plastic state. We are spinning our fates, good or evil, never to be undone. Every smallest stroke of virtue or of vice leaves its never so little scar. We need to guard little things, but it can also work in our behalf. From small beginnings, we can develop good habits that come to our rescue in a crisis. As William James said, as we become permanent drunkards by so many separate drinks, so we become saints in the moral and authorities and experts in the practical and scientific spheres by so many separate acts and hours of work. That brings us back to gifts of the Spirit. Gifts do not come full-grown. A gift may be manifest by a desire, an inclination, a talent, an attraction, or a propensity. The gift to be useful must be developed, as William James said, by so many separate acts and hours of work. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul teaches us there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Paul admonishes us to covet earnestly the best gifts. To covet earnestly, we must work on the gifts daily. We must be earnest in our endeavors to earn those gifts. I read once that a lady said to a concert pianist, I would give my life to play like you. The concert pianist replied, Lady, I did. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.